I'm Lisa DeLay, and you're listening to the Spark My Muse podcast. Welcome to Spark My Muse, everybody. Today I have an author, Patrice Gopo. She has written the book, All the Colors We Will See, Reflections on Barriers, Brokenness, and Finding Our Way. She hails from Alaska originally and has a, a really interesting memoir about all the different stops along the way, about belonging, identity, and I'm excited to open up some of this book and uh, tease you with it a little bit so that you get it. But thank you, Patrice, for being my guest today. Oh, thank you so much, Lisa, for having me. It's a real pleasure. We were talking a little bit before I started recording here about a lot of different ways we see ourselves and our identity and then those impositions that get put on us even by family members or by culture. And there is so much within your book that talks about all those different nuances and and how, you know, different people uh, interacted with you in different ways to to bring up color or to bring up identity. Maybe you can talk a little bit about why you decided to name your book this. I think it, it tells a lot about what's inside the book. Yeah, no, I think that's a great question. You know, there's two, I would say there's kind of two strands going on with this title. I really enjoy thinking around um, just visualizing vivid colors in my piece. So you'll see a lot of elements of the natural world showing up, the blues and the greens. And I really have kind of an eye for that. There's also an essay that I love where I talk about my wedding dress, which was a red dress. And so just describing that. So I feel like there's this influx of just color in general that's present in our world that I bring to the collection. But I think the other narrative that goes along with this title is the reality of color, of color of people and the way in which our world seeks to divine, excuse me, to define fine experiences based on skin color. So I feel like with this title, it's actually saying we have narrowly defined people based on skin color and let us actually see the fullness of who people are with this title. So that I feel is like what I'm offering with the title of the book. Hmm. And the subtitle reflections on barriers, brokenness and finding our way um, really seems to speak to the journey in your life, you uh, uniquely, I think, lived in Alaska, but with immigrant parents from Jamaica seems like yes. such a such a <laughs> contrast, right? That's not the first yes. thing people would say. Oh, yeah, you know, the usual story. <laughs> Jamaicans in right. Alaska, right? Right. And so that that itself is a unique experience that uh, do you consider yourself Alaskan in, in your cultural mindset in any way? Or did you feel apart from that? Honestly, I do. I consider Alaska definitely as part of my identity and who I am. I think there's really specific experiences I have growing up in Alaska that I just feel only cultures even within Alaska. So I don't necessarily feel myself connected to all the cultures that may be present in Alaska, but just that kind of umbrella term of being an Alaskan, I certainly do feel that. And there'll be moments, uh, you know, like maybe we go out to dinner and someone is talking about king crab legs or mm-hmm. Alaskan salmon as the special on the menu. And I have this reaction that I want to tell the waitress, I have a connection to this. And I mean, I usually don't because it doesn't make sense really, but, but I feel this sense of connectedness to what that is. I know who the people are who are going out to catch these things, you know, so there's Mm. this connectedness that I think 
is certainly there. So I feel like with the title, the reflections on barriers, brokenness, and finding our way is that I believe that honestly, it's part of the human condition that we have these moments of figuring out, do I belong here? Do I fit here? Maybe in a particular environment, maybe with friendship circles, maybe in our school, whatever it may be, that there are places in which we experience this feeling of not quite belonging or fitting in. And so I feel like there is a shared aspect of that that people can relate to. But I do sometimes feel is that Um, people start to begin to feel that my particular experience might be the same as another person's experience. And so I push back against that a bit in this book with this idea of reflections on barriers, brokenness, and finding our way, because I really believe that for some people, this experience or feeling of not quite belonging, not fitting in, maybe being on the fringe, that some people will experience this more acutely than others. And I think that honestly has to do with the brokenness in our society, our broken race relations, uh, the way in which we interact with people who might be different from us. So, So I feel like with this book, my hope is that people will connect on some of these shared moments of, you know, experience, and then it will also enable them to see that actually some people are going to experience some of this more intensely than maybe I do. Maybe, you know, as a black American growing up in Alaska in a predominantly white community, that there were just experiences that I was living through that the rest of my classmates probably were not experiencing. And so it's my hope that this book will help illuminate some of those things, some of these areas in which there are barriers to that sense of belonging? And what does it mean when you might experience more barriers than the other people around you? Mm. Thank you for that. I um, wonder, in for people who are part of a, a privileged, lighter, whiter cl- class of people or category of people, do you think they should be asked? I mean, one thing is to just be aware, of course, first, and then maybe be asking themselves questions about who who has privilege, who's getting what. I mean, sometimes those are very unconscious things that because they're not experiencing it, they don't think it's a problem, right? Right, yeah. This is something that's come up even in my own marriage, marrying someone very, very white. Racism is over. Racism, and I'm like, uh, you can say that because you're not experiencing it. Mm. But you know, talking to my friends of color, they they get looked at and they get followed in the store. Right. That's never happened to him because he doesn't look a certain way. But of course, right. it happens all the time to them. Uh, so it's easy to have a, have blinders on. But do you think that? Um, Like, do you think those kinds of questions should be, do you welcome those questions when they come from white people of, of what is your experience and things like that? Yeah, I would say, I think that's a great question. And I will just say to start with, I do think it's important that all of us in society are engaging in understanding other people's stories. I think we tend to, um, understand stories of our experience and maybe the experience of people like us. And I think particularly if you are um, in a culture that tends to be dominant in society, so, you know, Mm -hmm. the 
television shows reflect your story, the books around reflect your story, that's it. It's an even greater likelihood that you have not as much understanding of what might be happening with other people, particularly people of color. And so I think in that regard, yeah, it's really important that I think people step out of themselves to try and understand what might be happening and recognize their reality may not be the reality for everyone around them. And I think in this way, that's when we begin to start understanding actually what does this society look like? It, it, it is, there are broken aspects of this society and how can we think about even, you know, trying to remedy or address some of these things without the awareness that it exists. So I think in that regard, it really is important for people to step in and engage in understanding other people's stories. And I think from my personal perspective, I think I, to some degree, really do welcome friends who want to engage and understand more what my life might be like, and me as well, understand more what their lives might be like. But I will say, writing a book has been very powerful because I feel like this is a way in which I can share my story with a much broader group of people without necessarily some of the tension that can come when people, you know, kind of push back against what you're saying, or mm. maybe your particular experience might make someone feel uncomfortable because they don't want to somehow think that who they are is complicit in this struggle that exists. And mm. so I feel like, mm. honestly, the presence of a book can be such a great way to allow someone to enter into another story because you can't disagree or argue with a person's story in a book. It's just there and they read it. And so, so I'm excited about that in the way that it's going to potentially allow uh, people to see something different and um, yeah, engage in it in that way. Hmm. Well, I'm curious to know how your parents um, thought of, of the difference between them and their community and how that might have formed and shaped you or because the, the, the color difference is a big, big thing, but the immigrant story mm. is, is also, um, yeah. I, what I've heard from people too is kind of like, um, and what I seem to, to read in your book is kind of like, I'm, I'm black, but I'm not black from here. Mm. Yeah. Right. I mean, I think, and I think that's honestly what you said is a lot of how what my parents felt that they recognized their blackness, but I think they also knew that black Americans had some sort of cultural aspect that they themselves didn't fully understand having moved here from Jamaica. Mm. And so I think while they were certainly, you know, wanted to engage and connect and things of that nature, I think there was a sense of not quite feeling like I understand or that I fit here. And so, so I think that was kind of their experience such that when my sister and I were growing up, they didn't necessarily have some of the cultural cues to teach us. And so I think in many mm. ways, my sister and I, we were growing up as black Americans and yet our parents had not had that experience themselves growing up as black mm -hmm. Americans. And so there were many things that they themselves didn't know how to navigate. One of the things that I think of particularly is some of the books that I would have been assigned to read um, in, you know, high school and just the use of racial slurs that were present in some of those books. I, you know, you think about some of these classic books that mm -hmm. we read and that they're present. And for me, that was very hard to sit in class and read. And when I talked to some of my other friends, other black American friends, 
their parents were aware that this might happen and knew how to be proactive to address it with the teacher. But my parents hadn't had that experience before. And so it, they didn't, they didn't, they themselves didn't necessarily know that they could say something, but I also didn't know that I should tell them about what was happening either. So Mm. I think it just made it complicated that, um, that we kind of didn't have some of the, uh, what do you call, like maybe just that sense of orientation about what might happen in your high school English classroom or something like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And there, there's kind of an adjustment to a culture that that seems foreign to them they're you know and then you by proxy are also sort of misfitting in, in a way and finding your own way right yes absolutely i think that is true but you know i will say lisa i feel like my parents found a warm welcome in anchorage and i hold that very dearly that I think Anchorage was made up of a lot of people who had moved there from different parts. And so I feel like many people were far from their families. So these friends that they made in their early days, they were like family to us. So I, so I think that's a very special thing that I want to say as well, that it's not, there's this, um, this nuance of things that were challenging, but also the beauty and the blessings as well. Mm -hmm. And how do you hold both of those together when you evaluate your childhood? Hmm. There's something, at least from the outside, not being Alaskan, that seems very independent and rugged about Alaska and people from Alaska. You know, you're you're setting out to the territory, to to this place of, you know, big sky and big mountains and Mm. um, adventure and, uh, the the quality that comes back, it tends to be that people that I've known from Alaska, um, you know, it's hard scrabble. And, and so that might be that thing culturally that happens in Alaska where like you're, like you're saying it's family, even though you're, it's the friendships, but you're kind of bonding together because it's a different sort of environment compared to, you know, Tampa or something, you know, right, right. Uh, where it's, where it's a different sort of lifestyle. And right. I guess too, in terms of how it was in in Anchorage for you, was was it more like suburban life or city life, or did you have a lot of nature? Uh, did that yeah. like how was in terms of how you were growing up? Was it close to, and integrated with nature, or not so much? Mm-hmm. No, this is a good question too, and I'll say this: Anchorage is definitely a city. So there were parts of Anchorage you could live in that felt very much in a city. But we happened to live kind of on the outskirts of Anchorage. And I mean, it was, I guess it was kind of suburban, but not suburban like I think of here in Charlotte, North Carolina, <laughs> okay. of suburban. This was more, I mean, we lived in a neighborhood, but we also lived on a quarter acre of land and most of our neighbors did as well. And so there were just big forests around my friends and I, we would kind of wander through these woods in the days and there would be little creeks we would find. You know, so I felt like the natural world was part of my growing up experience. And there was a kind of a mountain, like a mountainscape that was way in the background. And we would sometimes go berry picking on the slope of the mountain in the summertime. So, so these things were very much part of my life that I feel this sense of connectedness to nature that honestly, as an adult, I live here in Charlotte, North Carolina now that I don't feel like I tap into as much as I did growing up. And I do miss that. I feel like that's part of my experience. Hmm. 
We'll talk a little bit about your trip to South Africa and meeting your husband and a little bit about how that affected you and made you think about color and yeah. belonging. And that's really an interesting part of the book. Yeah, no, I think that's a great uh, part of the book. I really enjoy that too, that just the direction it went. So I ended up going to South Africa just after I finished graduate school. And in graduate school, I received an MBA and a master's of public policy because my intent was to work with under-resourced communities, working with economic development work, particularly microfinance. So I was interested in working with women, helping them learn skills around starting small businesses. And that's why I ended up in South Africa. I wrote a grant right after graduate school and I, uh, I went there. And you know, one of the things that particularly struck me when I went to South Africa was just the sheer volume of people who shared my complexion. Honestly, I remember feeling that very strongly. Like this was a really neat place where I felt like kind of everywhere I went, I didn't necessarily stand out mm -hmm. that I could kind of just be part of the landscape of people who mm -hmm. were there. So I think that was a really neat experience for me when I was in South Africa. And so I also met my husband there. He is good friends with some good friends of mine. And I, I also remember being quite surprised that here in this place, I ended up finding the person that I was going to end up marrying. And, and I remember us discussing and talking and realizing that there were so many things that were different about our backgrounds, right? I mean, mm. he grew up in Zimbabwe. I grew up in the States, way off in Alaska. Um, my parents were Jamaican immigrants. So there were just these differences. And yet, I also felt like there were commonalities, really sweet commonalities that were there. I remember um, him talking about Zimbabwe and how Bob Marley, mm -hmm. he sang at Zimbabwe's Independence Day ceremony. <laughs> and, you know, and it was just this kind of moment where I thought, oh, we have some shared cultural connections here <laughs> and even some influences of just the way we used lang like the English language. So my parents, their Jamaican, you know, heritage influenced how we spoke English in our home. And I realized that my husband also had some of those commonalities. And honestly, I think that was, that's the British influence in both mm -hmm. of these places. Mm -hmm. But, uh, but still, I just remember having these moments, these little moments where I thought, you're actually very different from me, but we have a lot in common across the world. We grew up in these separate far off places and yet here we are together with shared moments. And so that felt very special for me. And I think, you know, when we got married, I really did have this sense of like this place, whatever it is that we're creating together, I belong here. Mm. Um, so that was really special. Yeah. And it's, you're creating a, a new space out of whole cloth in, in a sense, because you're creating yeah. something completely new. Yes, absolutely. Yes, I agree mm. with you, Lisa. Yeah. That's really a beautiful thing, too, because um, you could, you know, it's kind of where we're going to decide our differences are, because on paper, you might be able to put a lot of differences between you and your husband, uh, potentially, you know? Yeah, right. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Right? Yeah. But but actually, you found plenty of things that were compatible, yes. that were the same. And, yeah. and it seems to me that the, the differences shouldn't ever be you know, swept under the rug. They should be noticed. They shouldn't be 
Right. Uh, I'm not. A, I'm not one of those people. Who thinks let's be colorblind. Let's not notice because you have right. you have to notice. You have to be aware of what different people experience. But at the same time, the differences are not dividing differences. Hopefully, they are enriching ones. You know. Yeah. Um, and then you can create new new things. But um, it is kind of remarkable that you would go all the way around the world like that. <laughs> <laughs> and um yeah and then and then tell how you ended up in North Carolina yeah so we ended up in North Carolina so after we got married I actually moved to South Africa and I lived there for a couple years so my husband was already Nyasha he was already living in South Africa when we met and then when we got married I moved there and and actually I had my first child while we were there um and it was around that time where we both started thinking, you know, I think it would be better for us to not necessarily be in South Africa because there were a lot of uh, like administrative things going on. We had to file for visas and things quite regularly. And we just thought, you know, life might be easier for us if we're in one of our countries. And I, the other truth is that I missed my mother mm. and I now had this you know, baby, and I wanted to be closer to her. And so she was in Alaska at the time. But we thought, you know, Charlotte is closer than <laughs> Cape Town to Alaska. And my husband at the time, he was working for a firm that had an office in Charlotte. And so honestly, Lisa, we had never visited Charlotte, neither of us. And we just kind of <laughs> looked at it. And we thought, well, we can try it. And you know, if it doesn't work, we'll try something else. And so we moved here in, I guess it was the start of 2011 that we moved here. So, and we've been here ever since. And that's a whole different culture than Alaska, for sure, Southern living. Yeah. And so what, yeah. can, what can you say as you speak to that? Because, you know, the, the American South has, of yes. course, its own history. It does. And, it does. and that would be really unfamiliar to both of you. Yes. It, yes, absolutely. And, and you know what I will say? I think I didn't realize how much of a difference there might be between mm. my experience growing up in Alaska or just even having lived in Pennsylvania, lived in Michigan, mm -hmm. what it would be to move to this region of the country, which I think I'm grateful we've been here, but there have been some you know, jarring moments. They, for example, mm -hmm. I think one of the essays that I write about in the book deals with the presence of the Confederate flag that's mm. just quite visible. And and I, I just found that very jarring when I moved here and just trying to think, what is this? What what does this mean? What what am I not understanding here? It seems like maybe we shouldn't do that. You know, so just mm -hmm. different things of that nature and trying to understand um, what it is to live in a place that has this history with race relations, just a really pronounced history with race relations, and then being a black woman in this context as well. And my husband as well, I think for him, you know, coming to this country mm. that at a very racially charged time and yeah. living in this region, I think also there's been confusion and frustration and uh, just trying to figure out how do we fit into this particular culture and this particular space. So so I would say that has been true of our experience. But on the flip side, I also feel like moving to Charlotte has been a gift for my writing personally. I, I've had some really neat opportunities related to my writing here. And hmm. I am so grateful for that, hmm. that I've had some of these opportunities, opportunities to, um, I, I was a, 
I was awarded the North Carolina Arts Council Literature Fellowship last year, which mm. was a huge honor mm-hmm. to receive that. And then I've received you know, grants to go to residencies. I've had opportunities to teach and take classes here. So mm. I feel like this has been a place where I have um, been able to give to the literary community, but also receive from the literary community. And mm. that's really special. Yeah, it's, it seems like where you're supposed to be, for at least for now. <laughs> I think so. I think absolutely. We came sight unseen, and it was a good choice for us. I know, it's pretty brave. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, don't know. I think at that point, I think we both had just been at a point that actually, if it's not working, we can do something else. And I think that encouraged mm. us to just try something. Wow. Well, you talk a little bit, too, about fitting in in, in your church community, in your spiritual community. Yes. And yes. that's a challenge. I, I know maybe you can speak a little bit to that. And, um, you know, that's that's kind of, um, and not to, to diminish anything you've written, but I know that that's a very common thing I hear. I've experienced and I hear it myself, What whether you feel like you fit in or you have to try to be something yeah. else or, you know, right. what how do you build more intimate connectional relationships with people and what barriers come up? And maybe you can speak a little bit to that and um, how, how's that been and how's it going? Yeah, no, I, yes, that I would say in terms of, I'll just answer the, how's it going? (laughs) Okay. I'll I'll start there that this is an ongoing journey for me. I believe that it truly is. I, like I said before, I grew up in Alaska and I, grew up in this predominantly white church. And I, um, and, and this is the faith that I still hold. I hold this faith, but what I have seen over the years is that there honestly aren't lots of black and brown people in this particular like evangelical faith that I hold. And, um, and I think as well, because of that, the church itself can often bend in the direction of the white experience. And so, Mm -hmm. so I think these are realities that I interact with very regularly is this idea, well, maybe we should be part of a different church community. Maybe we should be attending a predominantly black church. Maybe we should, you know, there's lots of maybes. Maybe Mm -hmm. we really need to ensure we're at a multicultural congregation, you know, so there's Mm -hmm. lots of these maybes that happen. And at the same time, I'm still this person of faith. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I think what I have realized is different seasons will offer different solutions or ideas or answers. So I know that the church that I'm part of right now, while it's not necessarily, you know, it's not necessarily the most diverse community, I feel like there are other aspects of that community that are useful for my spirituality. So I, mm. I appreciate that. And so I think to be a person who may not necessarily always feel like they belong in a spiritual community, that you hold these things in tension. You mm. think about the things that maybe you do wish were different, but you also think about what are the gifts that are here right now? And maybe the gifts are what I focus on in this moment in time, maybe at another point, I'll circle back to some of the things that feel intention. Mm. Uh, so yeah, so I, I think it's maybe a grappling across a lifetime. Yeah, <laughs> as I right. say that, it almost feels a little hopeless, but I don't feel hopeless as I say that. <laughs> I think that's the reality of um, being humans that we, I, I don't think any of us ever fit someplace perfectly. Mm-hmm. But like I mentioned earlier, I think it's true that because of 
you know, things around race and people and movement of people and things of that nature, some people are going to feel some of this more strongly than others. And so, and I think a church community that tends to be predominantly white is a great space where you might feel that pretty acutely. Mm. Are there any um, spiritual practices that, that help nurture you and give you a sense of homecoming? Hmm. Well, I will say one of the things I try to do every day is take a walk in the morning and use it as a time of prayer and reflection and meditation as I'm walking. And Mm -hmm. I feel like in those moments, I remember that the world is so much more than just what I'm experiencing right now, that there is, there's just a lot more that's out there, that there, there is my particular story, but the way that my particular story entwines with the story of so many other people. And so I feel like that for me is a very centering thing that I am attached to. And I've been attached to for many years now. I mean, I'll even Mm. do it when the weather is not good Mm. (laughs) because I just feel like it's an important space for me to just take a moment and reflect and interact with this new day, interact with my faith. So I, I would say that is probably the biggest one that I consistently do. Hmm. I, I I should have asked this a long time ago in our in our conversation, but um, I, and I tend to do that. But as your did your parents have a religious or spiritual tradition before you came along, and that was you were brought into that, um, that something they brought from Jamaica, or how did that get introduced into your life? Yeah. Uh, so my parents, yes, they, um, they were Christians in Jamaica and they would have come to Alaska and some of these friends that they met who became like family would have welcomed them into their church congregations. So my parents were very much entrenched in that. Entrenched sounds like a negative word. I don't mean that (laughs) negative. They were very much part of this faith tradition by the time I was born. So they did raise me in this. Yes, absolutely. That I was raised and Protestant. I say, um, yes, mm-hmm. yes, exactly. I mean, I, I feel like I know not even, I feel like the church I grew up in was a Baptist church, but we weren't particularly Baptist. We just happened to go to a Baptist church. Um, so yeah, so they definitely would have raised me in that. Yeah. More Protestant um, Christian faith. And I think as I grew older, I certainly spent a season where I kind of thought, is this really what I believe? Not sure. Doing lots of reading, investigations of other things. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, coming back to this place. So actually, this is my faith and this is what I believe. Mm-hmm. And then have you spent time in some like AME churches or some predominantly black yeah. denominations and things like that? Mm, I would say bits bits of time. So in college, mm-hmm. I would have gone to a um, a black Baptist church. So in college, most of my friends, my close friends, were um, they were black women, and which was a first for me. It was really a neat experience. And mm-hmm. one of the things as well as part of our kind of friendship and stuff was I went to church with them. So mm-hmm. I did go to a black Baptist church then. And then when I was in graduate school, I also briefly attended, uh, I think it was an AME church as well too. So, which I think were also really neat experiences. I'm glad I was part. And I do from time to time enjoy going to these churches as well. But I will say, uh, just even in terms of 
my experience with church, it doesn't always align with what I grew up with. And I think there is something about attending a church that reminds you of your childhood that feels comforting. And Mm. I think in this season, I probably long for some of the things that feel comforting to remember, like, this is actually what you grew up with and what you know best. Mm -hmm. Or something familiar that keeps you feeling centered in in some way. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah, that's... That's really interesting because as, as you have the chance to pick of many options, um, what, you, what you gravitate towards is something familiar because it feels the most, maybe the most recognizable or something, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which, is, which is interesting if you want to go to, or if you feel it's predominantly white and you feel like that's not maybe the best thing or it's not the most diverse which you would prefer and yet you gravitate towards that if you are I mean um that's a weird conundrum then it is I agree (laughs) I'm actually working on an essay about this right now because (laughs) I I think it is it it, and I don't honestly Lisa I don't have the answers for this Mm -hmm. and one of the things that I think as I've been writing this is part of this particular challenge is having grown up in this particular strand of faith and Mm -hmm. also being a black woman, or I don't even know if woman, but just a black person. And Mm -hmm. you know, that it almost feels like they don't always mesh well. And what Mm -hmm. happens when these things that you care about don't necessarily mesh well together? Mm -hmm. How do you figure out what place you're supposed to be? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, and then there's something to be said for, for staying somewhere where you can change it or you can say, help people be be more aware and uh, say you know there have to be different voices within this group there have to be different people different voices different experiences made known and then there might be a a point where it doesn't work anymore because there's too much blindness towards certain voices right yeah i mean i think everything you said is very accurate and so and i that's why i feel like things can change across seasons. Mm -hmm. I think we can change communities we're part of can change. And so I don't necessarily think there's a hard and fast rule for either what I should do or what other people should do either. Mm -hmm. So um, I think there's a lot of considerations that one would take into account. Yeah. I've been talking recently to Latin American friends and just the idea that especially evangelicalism is colonized is Mm. a new concept for for me really and for a lot of people but that realizing that my father my puerto rican father was studied to be a minister in a fundamentalist baptist minister was a was studying a colonized very colonized Mm. religion to come down and essentially colonize Puerto Rico (laughs) in this way, you know, but not probably being as aware of it, but, you know, he wasn't going to be reading any theology by anyone of color at all. Right. And how full of gaps that kind of education would be, you know, Um, and then realizing that if you are only hearing from this tiny group of all men, of course, (laughs) and then all white men from a certain area of Europe, you know, you're really, is that really theology? That's just a a kind of theology. So it's just kind of making people aware that 
their kind of Christianity isn't Christianity. It's a kind of Christianity. Right. It's this yes. kind of like just, just being aware of that is maybe a stepping stone to how many flavors and varieties do we have here? Yes. Uh, but then also realizing there's so much input from this one group mm-hmm. um, that mm-hmm. it, it's, it just helps to, to, to broaden our awareness of uh, there are a lot of other pe- people experiencing God and they're not experiencing it like white European males. <laughs> right. Yeah. No, I think it's true. I think you're absolutely right about that. And I know that's one thing I often think when I consider my family and our household is I feel very grateful that, you know, while this may be, say, that where we are today, we have experienced a vast range of people worshiping in churches and types of church, you know, so across countries, not just, mm. you know, here in the United States. And so I think that's one thing we hold, even as we might sit in a particular space is mm-hmm. actually, we feel very privileged that we have been able to see people worshiping God in a lot of different contexts mm-hmm. and kind of examining what, you know, teachings and is it tenets? Is that well, anyways, um, examining those from a variety of angles as well, too. So, so I think you're right that sometimes what can happen is that you can be in a context where you're only having access in to one particular type of thinking or, you know, one particular influence, like you've already said. And, um, and I think that can be, you know, that's not so great. Yeah. And, and it goes down to, to, you know, even the music that, that's going to be played and um, yeah. the kinds of conversations and even the kinds of struggles that people are having yeah. um, will be, and this could be a socioeconomic thing too, depending on yeah, where the church true. is placed, you know, mm-hmm. If, um, mm-hmm. and whether <laughs> whether people are driving 45 minutes to come to church what, or it's a neighborhood church. And, right. and I think about these things because um, I would love to see that church has a heart for the neighborhood, you know, that it's in, yeah. but, but a lot of American churches are, you know, consumer based where it's like, I hope, I hope this pleases me. <laughs> I hope I'm amused. <laughs> um, and, you know, we'll travel a, a distance to get what we're hoping for and right. not thinking about maybe the community that we're in to serve the community that we're in and, and going to the closest church, I think is what Eugene Peterson was talking about. What church should I go to? And he said, go to the one closest to your house, depending, mm-hmm. you know, if you can hand, if you can stand it, <laughs> that it's not, it's not going to be, um, yeah. In, in terms of like, you know, it's yeah. not so way off what you believe, right. but it's basically yeah. it's basically what you believe. But that it's because it's in your neighborhood that you do that you go to that church, and it really impressed on me that um, that your you know that your neighbors need you, and yeah. and that might those neighbors might not look like you maybe or maybe they do, but um, you know this this idea that and, and this this plays into. Are your neighborhoods allowed to mix? It's things like that. This plays into racial mm. barriers that can sometimes happen, yes. which, which need to be dismantled. Yeah, it's all about you know who who are we allowing to belong, and yeah. and I think that those questions need to be raised again and again. You you bring up a lot of them that are just like 
you know, made me think too. Am I thinking about this one? Am I thinking about that one? <laughs> it's very good because if that's we, if great, we, I love hearing that Lisa's book is doing <laughs> all that I hope that. Yay! <laughs> but yeah, but I mean, if you're, we're not going to be willing to have some discomfort and ask those questions. We're we just you don't you stay asleep, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think that's true. This idea of a willingness to em- enter into spaces or ideas or thinking that might bring discomfort as well. Because I do feel like you push through that. There can be such, I don't know, glory on the other side. So I think it's really important. Any final words of advice, encouragement, wisdom, or uh, you want to ask something of the listeners? You know, this has been a wonderful conversation. Thank you so much for making the time. I really enjoyed it. And I will just say, you know, I think about this book and I think about what we've conversed about. And I I, I do feel on one hand, it is true that I think there will be people out there who will read this book and potentially see something that is different from their experience. You know, they might understand something different or something new. But I also feel really strongly that there are people out there who have much in common with my experience. And they'll read this book and they're going to find moments of affirmation in it. And I'm excited about that too, because I feel like, you know, when you think about books out there in the world that I myself, you know, I didn't have a book like this to read when I was a child that might mirror back to me what I was living. And so I, Mm. I hope that this book will do this for others out there. Um, But, you know, Lisa, I do, I just believe really strongly in this book, I believe in its possibilities for what it can contribute to our current discussions that are happening in our society. So I, I'm just thrilled and I, yeah, mm-hmm. I'm thrilled to have it out there and offer it as a gift to people. That's wonderful. Yeah. Thank you for doing this work. Are you going to be continuing in the same vein or do you have other projects brewing? Yeah. Well, you know, I think one of the things that I am beginning to step into a bit more is the idea of helping to empower other people to identify their stories of Mm. identity formation and belonging, whether that's through speaking or teaching, Mm. conducting workshops, things of that nature. So I've already started doing a little bit of that work. And I, I think in the back of my head, I'm thinking, Yes, I'll certainly continue with the writing. I'm passionate about writing. Mm -hmm. We'll see what new essays arise from, you know, as I continue to write. But I also realize I'm really interested in helping other people find pathways to tell their stories, too. Mm. Yeah, it's like a midwife to to their coming into yeah. to deeper, deeper knowledge of their identity. It's, it's yeah, a beautiful right. thing. Mm. Yeah, and, and I'm not convinced everyone needs to write a book. I think there's mm-hmm. lots of ways we share stories in our world. So mm. I just think sometimes it's about helping people figure out how it is that you might do that. Hmm. Yeah, and I think as we do that in in our unique ways, the the general ways wind up connecting us to each other too. Hmm. Yeah, I think that's true. Because uh, because as you explain, you're very. Particular ways, you know, I'm pretty distanced from being a Jamaican and growing up in Alaska. But the sense of of not fitting in or not belonging, or you know, the the struggles that that put our identity into question are very common, and we've all experienced them to some degree or another. And you can think, what is what is it like for someone else? To, it's similar mm. to me, and yet you might not assume that at first blush. You might not think it's that similar 
uh, those feelings of feeling alienated or the other. Mm-hmm. And then in realize, you know, you realize your own humanity as you realize the humanity in someone else. Yeah, absolutely. And then those things, I think, you know, one of the analogies that I often use when I'm teaching classes is those moments of connection. That's what becomes the bridge that you cross and then you end up on another side where you're able to see something different, right? So we have this moment of connection that becomes a bridge between us and then we're able to cross over and discover something new. Hmm. I love how you said that. (laughs) I love that. (laughs) Well, uh, thank you for sharing your work with us and I encourage everybody to, to look for this book, All the Colors We Will See, by Patrice Gopo. Thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, thank you, Lisa. This has really been a fun conversation. I appreciate it. Very thoughtful, and I enjoyed it very much. If you've listened to the show and you've thought, wow, I wish I could find out a little bit more about someone mentioned or a book or a website, that's what show notes are for. Just go to patreon.com forward slash sparkmymuse. Patreon is like patron with an E. Patreon.com forward slash sparkmymuse. If you enjoyed the show, please rate it on iTunes. Thank you so much for listening.